But we Christians believe that we have this resurrection promise that Jesus has given us. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. So uh, we are trusting that his plan is perfect and he knows best. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus said that He is the resurrection and the life. So if He lives and we're in union with Him, we must live forever as well. What a comforting assurance for all of us. Here's David with a message called Forever Alive. Let me give you the context of today's verses. Again, John 11 verses 1 through 27. Uh, we saw last week how Jesus left Jerusalem trying to get away from the Jewish officials' authority because they were picking up stones to throw him. His time had not yet come. God's timing is perfect. The cross wasn't then supposed to happen. So Jesus went away to the place where John was baptizing before he was later imprisoned and then he had his head chopped off. It, it's a place called Bethabara. And it's about 20 miles away from the city we're going to examine in just a second called Bethany. So Jesus is away from Jerusalem, about 20 or so miles away, protected from the Jewish officials oversight of him because they had no authority there. And then with that background and that knowledge, let's look at today's text because what happens next is quite extraordinary. Again, Jesus is in Bethabara next to the Jordan River, about 20 to 22 miles away from Jerusalem. Let's begin our text with John 11 verses 1 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Now, a certain man was ill. So, so there was a guy who became ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, the word Lazarus means the strength of God. And then the city Bethany means house of rest. And Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem. And Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus, as we'll see in just a second. And Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So there are three people uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, who live in a little town called Bethany, two miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem. And Jesus loved these guys. He had close friendships with all three. But they were an interesting family, um, as we can best tell in church tradition. Uh, Martha was the oldest, Mary the next oldest, and Lazarus was the baby. Uh, we see in Luke the 10th chapter, verses 38 and following, that Jesus was with them in their home. It was a place he loved to go to, probably to rest and just have fellowship with his close friends. And Mary is sitting at his feet, just soaking up every word. Martha's busy in the kitchen with the dishes. And she comes out and looks at Jesus and looks at Mary and says, Mary, tell uh, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me in the kitchen. And Jesus responds, hey, Martha, you busybody, you always having to be in perpetual motion kind of person. What Mary is doing right now as the more relaxed personality is best. She's sitting at my feet just learning from me. Mary, Martha, you don't always have to be so busy doing stuff. There's a good time just to come and sit at my feet and be with me. So you see maybe some family tension there between Martha and Mary. And then, of course, Lazarus, the baby, he probably just sat back and watched all of that happen, trying to remain removed from the conflict, as those of us, like myself, who are the youngest, learn to do in family situations where sometimes older brother Howard and older sister Carolyn had some sparks fly between them, though they loved each other very, very much. 
Verse two, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, that's going to come up in John 12, verse three. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. The story of Mary wiping off Jesus' feet with her hair. And it, this is a preview verse of what's going to come in the life of Mary who loved Jesus deeply. And whose brother Lazarus was ill. So a second time here we have Lazarus being noted as being ill. Verse three, so the sisters sent to him saying, now we don't know if they sent a person or if they wrote a note and sent that to Jesus, but however they communicated to him, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent something, someone to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, that word love, interestingly, in the Greek is phileo. Uh, some of you may know that the Greek has four different words for love. We only have one. Uh, that word for love describes all kinds of different situations. It's an inadequate love to describe all of them. Well, the Greeks had four. First, eros, physical love, sexual love. Within marriage between a man and a woman, as God intended, it's a beautiful expression of love, co covenant, commitment, and also the possibility, the desire to create the next generation and raise them for Jesus. Uh, there was also storge, which is family love, the love you have for brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, family members. Uh, there's also phileia love, that's best friend kind of love. It's the love you have for those people you ask in your wedding if you're married to stand up front with you. Um, it's what I say all the time in love and marriage. Hey, husbands, wives become each other's best friends with phileo love because, hey, you can leave your spouse, but you can never leave your best friend. And the fourth love is agape, total unconditional acceptance of the other person just the way he or she is. The Greeks didn't think that was a word to be used by humans. Only the gods could accomplish agape love. Then along comes Jesus, and that's the word he uses to describe his love for us not waiting for us to become perfect. Praise God, he died on the cross knowing we were still yet sinners, needing his forgiveness and his grace. Well, phileia is used here. Uh, this one whom you love, implying that Lazarus was a best friend of Jesus. They were close, intimate in every possible way. Verse four, but when Jesus heard it, he said, uh, this illness does not lead to death for it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus' first response isn't anger against his illness. It wasn't a sense of grief over potential loss. He responds, hey, this is for the glory of God. This illness is gonna prove to bring something bigger than Lazarus, nor you, nor anyone could ever understand. So let me pause here just for a second. Um, I get asked a lot, what is God doing in difficult trials, illnesses, problems in this life? Uh, some of you know I have been through them as well. And, and what I have concluded in my life's journey with Jesus as I experienced those difficult, tough times in my life, God is doing potentially a number of different things. Uh, first of all, if there is death, if my brother Howard should go home to be with the Lord, I really do believe in Isaiah 57 one, where Isaiah says that sometimes God takes the righteous home to heaven to spare them from evil. 
It could well be that if God takes Howard home, it's to spare him from other potential physical, mental, emotional disabilities that he would have should he stay on this earth with that diabetic condition, with those heart problems. So really at that point, folks, death is a severe mercy. Death is a gift from God to take us to heaven, to be with him with a body that never hurts again with people whom we love. So we really do believe that when we go through these tough times in God's glory, he may have a different plan that really spares us from evil. Also, I've learned that these trials take us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. They drive us deeply into him. And I can honestly say in all of the problems and difficulties I've been through, I can glorify God because they've taken me to a place of depth in my Jesus that I've never been before, where I have found the resources of his living water and drank deep from his well of living everlasting water. And it's taken me to a new place in him that I give glory for. Um, Also, uh, Paul was the one who said, hey, I prayed once for God to relieve this thorn in the flesh. He said, no. I asked him twice. He said, no. Ask him a third time. And God said, my grace is sufficient. When you're going through tough times, you learn that God's grace truly is sufficient in Jesus. It's enough to get us through anything and everything in our lives. A third, trials drive you more deeply into your marriage partner. Uh, I know that when I've gone through trials, Marilyn and I have gotten deeper and richer. And the whole goal of marriage is for two to become one, not only in friendship love, but in agape love. And, and when that happens, it's the most beautiful thing on the face of this earth. So trials and tribulations have driven Marilyn and me were more deeply into one another. Also, uh, trials and tribulations have allowed me to know who my true friends are. You know, we have a lot of people in this life who are mere acquaintances, and we have some who are our deep friends. What trial and tribulations reveal is who are your truly deep friends. They're the ones who care. They're the ones who call. They're the ones who are always there for you. And they're identified, and you know they're with you for life. But finally, God allows trials and tribulations to show his glory. Here's the promise of God's word. If you are deeply in Christ and he is allowing his life to conform you to his image, you know, that's the whole goal of this life in Christ. It is life transformation. It happens partly through information, but it's really Jesus inside of you who conforms your insides to his insides. Then it's reflected outwardly with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of who Jesus is in you. Well, Oftentimes, that fruit can't be revealed and you can't see what God is really doing unless you go through those deep, deep waters. And Jesus promises in his word that all things work together for good and for God's glory for those who love and serve him. All things. So that includes the trials. And when we go through a trial and then see how God has worked through that in our own personal lives or in a ministry that we may start or whatever, we continue to praise him. So Jesus here says that Lazarus's illness is for the glory of God. It's that fifth reason I just gave you. It is for God to do something miraculous and beautiful, outstanding that will give him glory like never before unless Lazarus had fallen ill. So verse five. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. Loved. Interestingly, that's not phileia. It's agape. So Jesus loved those three guys, not just as close friends, but deeply in himself, in that total unconditional love that only he can give people. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
and you're scratching your head right now going, say what? Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is ill. Mary and Martha, these people who he agaped, want him to come immediately and he waits two days. What in the world is Jesus doing? Here's what he's doing, folks. God's delay does not mean God's denial. May I say that again? God's delay does not mean God's denial. Look, when we pray, God answers prayers in one of three ways. Either he says yes immediately and you see the answer and you praise God for the answer. It causes all kinds of jubilant joy. It's wonderful when that happens and God answers again immediately when we request something. But secondly, sometimes he says, wait, wait. And it's clear in the Bible that God seldom uses any character for great purposes whom he doesn't have to place in the waiting room of faith. He just does so because it's in that stress of waiting. God shows us whether we truly still believe or not. It's in that waiting room of faith that God develops the inner resources of our utter dependence upon him. None of us like to wait upon the Lord, but that is one of the things he does for those whom he loves. So sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says wait, and then thirdly, sometimes some of you say he says no, right? I don't think God says no. I don't think God ever says no to any prayer. I think what he says is, I've got a better plan. I've got something else I'm going to do for your good and my glory. So here we see that Jesus has already said Lazarus's illness is going to bring glory to him. Now he says, I'm going to wait to respond. And I think he's developing a faith walk in his disciples with whom he walked, also in Mary and Martha and probably others who watched this great miracle about to unfold. So he waited two days longer in the place where he was in Bethabara, again, 20 miles away from Bethany. It would have taken him about a day's walk to get there. So he hears the news and he hears it that day. Then he waits another two days. And then on the fourth day, he walks back to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha and all those there in Bethany. Verse seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So after the two days wait on that fourth day, he says, let's go. Time to go back to Judea, to Bethany again, which is only two miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus had, had all that conflict with the religious leaders of the day. Well, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, again, an affirmation of Jesus teaching mastery over them. Rabbi, the Jews. Now, whenever you see the Jews, capital J, no, that's not the Jewish population. That's the religious leaders. The Jews, the religious leaders were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again you know, don't, don't you know what's waiting for you there? These guys want you dead. They don't like you at all. Verse nine, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, a couple thoughts there. First of all, what Jesus is saying here is, remember back to his second I am statement, the first one, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35, clear claim to deity, the word I am, Yahweh, only to be used 
about God, Jesus claiming to be God. I am the bread of life. Then in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And what he was saying there is anyone who walks with my light in them, they don't have to worry whether it's day or night. I will show them the path on which they can walk. Now, in your working world right now, Jesus was saying to these guys, you have 12 hours of daylight and you can work. You can do whatever you want to do. You can see anything and everything around you. Then you have 12 hours of darkness where you can't do anything. Jesus was saying, but if you let me be your light and you let me guide you, I will guide you every single minute of every single second of every 24 hour day. I am the light of the world and you can walk with me leading you and you'll see what I'm doing. Then he goes to Lazarus has fallen asleep, which is a biblical slash Aramaic slash Greek expression for death. Uh, whenever you read in the Bible like and the kings went asleep to be with their forefathers. Uh, that's saying they died to go be with their forefathers. He, here, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus is saying he has clearly died and now I go to awaken him. I'm, I'm going to bring him out of that death state. Now, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Well, they took it as a sleep euphemism that he'd merely fallen asleep you know, like we do at night when we go to bed. And if this, this is the case, he will surely recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. They thought Jesus was talking about Lazarus was just taking a nice long nap. And Jesus was saying, no, this is the other meaning of what sleep means in our day. He died. He is truly dead. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus is saying here that Lazarus's death is for the purpose of glorifying God. So it will increase their faith. Is this going to be a sad time for them to walk through so that they can then see the glory of God? Absolutely. And Jesus is saying, if you walk in my light, you'll always walk in victory because you'll have a trust in me that I'm working everything in your life, even the bad stuff together for your good and God's glory. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's Davidism. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community 
who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome, Jen. It's great to be with you. You called this morning's e-devotion, A Broken Crayon Can Still Color. What in the world do you mean by that? Oh, I love this one because it has an image of children coloring, which we all love to see happen, but it also has a profound spiritual truth behind it as well. You know, when a crayon breaks, some people think, oh, I need to throw it away. But give that broken crayon to a kid, they can still find ways to use it, to color, and eventually all the brokenness of the crayon starts to form a nice little nub that allows the crayon to still color very, very well. (laughs) And the point here being that a lot of our lives are broken. We've all gone through tough times, difficult tribulations, things that cause our hearts to hurt. No one is immune to those difficulties. Jesus said so in John 16, 33, for example, in this world, you, especially my followers, will have tribulations. But the question is not if we'll have tribulations. The question is what will we do with those tribulations when they occur? Will we allow our messes to become a message? Hmm. Will we allow our tests to become a testimony? The question is, do we really trust God in Romans 8, 28 language that all things do really work together for good? for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that what happens to us can be used for our good and God's glory. Look at the Bible. Every single great saint whom God used in the scripture went through difficult times, had troubles, problems, and yet God used each one of them to mold them into the person he wanted them to be in the situation where they existed. Each one broken, but God used that broken crayon to still color his majestic tapestry throughout all of the scripture. Jen, I love this verse in Matthew 12, 20. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. That's mm-hmm. just saying that those of us who are bruised reeds, just get that picture in your mind. And those of us who are smoldering wicks, who just feel like we're burned out and we just can't keep moving forward. We are not beyond the love of Jesus. He's not going to extinguish us nor break us. He is going to still use us. And that's today's message. A broken crayon can still color folks. In your brokenness, trust the Lord and he'll still use you as a broken crayon to color his beautiful scenery in his world. Wow, this is so powerful. The thing that jumps out at me is a a reed and a wick and even a crayon, David, are are fragile things. And the Lord knows our frailty and he has no uh, will to harm us. Instead, he wants us to fulfill the purpose that he's put us for here for. And I just love the verse that the gifts and calling on each of our lives are, are irrevocable. Yeah, Romans 11 um, is just a powerful verse that reminds all of us that uh, God's gifts are given to us to be used for good. And that reminds me of one other thing, Jen, I wanted to say today is please remember that so often those broken things that happen to you are from the enemy. 
don't blame God. God is good. Hate evil, but love that goodness from God and continue to strive to believe that even the worst thing that comes from the enemy can be used for good by God. And when you believe that, you can still move forward with your life and believe there's purpose that is awaiting you ahead. That will preach. Thank you so much, David. (laughs) Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there to a daily written Davidism moment of hope from me, from my heart to yours, free of charge to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the church in Afghanistan. 